Okay, guys, we've uh, we've introduced um, Romans 13. We um, we spent a couple of weeks just talking about stuff that's really um, probably more political in nature than anything else. Um, but now now all that's over, and um, we can all settle down, um, including me, um, and and maybe begin to look at the text itself. So we really not looked at the text itself. Um, so uh, as I told you, and as I do when we start every chapter, I want to read the whole chapter to you once. We'll only do it tonight, but let me read the uh, Romans 13 in its entirety. We have not done that yet, so l- let me do that now. Here we go. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then... Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, but not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, guys, you can see that the stuff contained in there in those 14 verses is pretty... Is pretty um, Angular stuff. There's a, there's a lot of uh, you know uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. There's 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 pointed statements made in this chapter that we're going to have to look at and try to do the best with them as we can. But guys, um, you can see why the whole subject of politics and government comes up in this chapter. This is the chapter that is used as a source of addressing the whole issue of God and government. Um, But I would suggest to you that the real issue is not government. The real issue is authority. 
And guys, um, if that's true, then what becomes the application, that is the, 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 the issue that is the applied issue, is submission to authority. And none of us particularly like that word. Submission to authority. But that's what at least these first seven verses are about, or at least um, in, in terms of their summation. Guys, um, there are those who have suggested that these seven verses have caused more unhappiness and more misery than any verses in the New Testament. They have, the reason that they, that was said is because godless governments have often appealed to these seven verses to call their subjects to an obedience. The, the classic illustration is Mary Queen of Scots, Mary Queen of Scots. If you know anything about, uh, church history, um, Mary Queen of Scots was, um, not exactly, uh, um, a supporter of, of, um, of, of uh, Christianity, and um, uh, it, the text has been abused in that regard. Godless uh, governments using it to to almost manipulate God's people into some kind of submission. Consequently, there has been a lot of um, ill um, inflicted upon the believing because of their desire to honor this text, and yet, in their so doing, perhaps, I don't want to use the word misunderstood, but it's certainly um, misunderstood, I think, some of the, the nuances of not only this text, but the New Testament. That's what I said last week, guys, is that this subject is complex. It is nuanced. And, and we're going to try to see some of those things um, and, and address some of those issues. But, I mean, l- look at this text, guys. I mean, look at, um, let everyone, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, how are you going to understand that? Are there limitations to that? Um, well, I think we are going to find that there are, but that's that's problem. That that's some of the difficulty of coming to to, to to a right understanding, so that the text is not only understood, but that you're not abused by it. How are Christians supposed to relate to a government's authority? What is the role of the state? In human affairs, all of that stuff needs to be addressed, guys, and, and we'll we'll try to do it slowly as we as we as we um, wade through this. There have been some guys that have sought to rid the New Testament of these seven verses, calling them very unpauline, saying that this is not something that we should even regard. It, and I, I, I'm not one of them, but it seems to me that what if they're very Pauline, and they're the they're the natural. Um, uh, progress made after he makes his statement in, in 1221. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It certainly seems that related to that would be our, our trying to relate to a godless government. But all that said, guys, there is, there is a great deal of need on, on our parts for the, for the people of God to know how to live within a pagan nation. A nation that is becoming 
more pagan with the passing of each each day and each new law, it seems. Um, so, guys, tough stuff here because what it is calling you to is to deal with the question of legitimate authority. Women don't like that in marriage. Church members don't like that in church leadership. We don't like that at the office, and we we balk at it in government as well. That's why this is this is so um, sensitive, and so we'll try to deal with it as best we can, I guess. Um, let me say first that this was written. Uh, this Pauline epistle was written somewhere around 60 A.D. The reason that I mention that is because it's important. It's, be, it's important because of what was going on in, um, uh, in 60 AD. Let me show you something. Just keep your finger there and, and flip over back to the book of Acts. See if you can find Acts 18 real quick. Um, let me read you this. This is uh, Acts 18, 1 and 2. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, <clears throat> because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. You see that? Now, guys, in the earliest stages of the Christian church, she was all converted Jews. And Rome made no distinction between whether it was a Christian Jew or a non-Christian Jew. But Rome, uh, having its own problems politically and, and governing its own kingdom, uh, dealing with certain problems that they had, blamed Judaism for it. Not being able to make the distinction between converted Christians or converted Jews, but they blamed all of Judaism for it, and so they ran all Jews out of Rome, as you're told right there. Uh, Unfortunately, we're not told exactly when Claudius did that. Not even in uh, extra-biblical sources are we told the year that that happened. But it was somewhere around 60 AD, which is in concert with with the publishing or the writing of, of the book of Romans. Also, you do know, don't you, the, the, the date 70 AD is big because that's when Rome um, burned down Jerusalem. So this is being written in a, in, a, in a period where there's a lot of stuff that's going on concerning how God's people are to relate to a pagan government. Which is um, pretty relevant, I think, guys, um, because we we better learn how to relate to our pagan government too. The issue of taxes was always a big deal. The uh, uh, do we? I mean, when Jesus was alive, and they asked him, "Do we? Do we pay taxes?" And uh, you know, he answers, "Render under, uh, under Caesar what is Caesar, etc." That was always a big issue for Jews. Jews were never very good at yielding to some kind of authority, any authority. Um, they would say, of course, yielded to the Torah, but they would, they would, any kind of outside influence, yielding to that was not something they did very well or they took very lightly. So Paul is writing into that historical context, guys. And, and, and let me say it again. The issue 
is how we relate to authority. And I don't think many of us, many of us do it very well. Um, now, guys, go back to the text and take a look at it. Um, I'm just going to read you the first sentence because it's, you know, it's, uh, it's expanded in the, in the rest of this, these seven verses. But here's the fundamental premises, a premise of what Paul has to say. This is the cornerstone of Paul's whole argument, this first sentence. Let every person be subject. I'm sorry, I should read you the rest. To the, the governing, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, gang, that is the cornerstone of his whole argument. And do you see what it is? Um, why is it that we as Christians should obey the government? Because we might get in trouble and get sent to jail? No. Why is it that Christians are supposed to yield to the government? Because... That government, according to verse 1, has been put in place by a sovereign God. Look, read it, guys. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Gang, do you remember the story uh, back in the book of Daniel when when um, Nebuchadnezzar was... Turned into an animal, you know, and he was uh, was an animal for seven months or seven years or whatever it was. Do you remember what the big lesson to Nebuchadnezzar was? Can I read it to you? Because it's the same lesson that's here, and it's repeated three times. In this this sentence is repeated three times in Daniel chapter four. It says this: um, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision of the by the word of the um, holy ones, to the end that the living may know. That the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest, lowliest of men. Now guys, that was the lesson that, that God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to learn. That God is over the, the kingdoms of men and he puts in position um, those governments that he sees fit. Ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, the cornerstone of Paul's argument is that very truth. He is appealing to the sovereignty of God over the establishment of government or governments. By the way, he's not the only one that states this. Peter, listen, listen to Peter's language. This is in 1 Peter 2. Just, just listen to this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperors as supreme or as to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are freed, but not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, for, but living as servants. Honor everyone. Love brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. This, this is a New Testament issue, guys, that is hard for us. Why are we to obey the government? Fundamentally, because the government that you and I have at this very moment is a government that has been established and put in its position, not by us as the electorate. God put it there. Um, all those human institutions, 
are, are there because of God's design. Now, therein lies the problem. How are we going to respond if Nero is king? Because that's when this was written, approximately, guys. How is the Christian church supposed to respond? There were no Christians in the Roman government at that moment when Paul writes this. It's not like they, you know, there was a, they could appeal to some sensibilities because they had a, a voting block. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. So what about Hitler? Or Stalin? Imagine what, what the church's response is when they recognize that their government is Hitler. You remember the, the, the little bit of the church in Germany um, that, that had so many problems. With, but guys, uh, this doesn't say yield to the government if, if they're nice. Now guys, I, by the way, I, I have just as much struggle with this as you do. I'm just telling you, we're trying to deal with something that we believe to be the very mind of God as black words on a white page, and this is difficult. We gotta, in most of our minds, a pretty rock gut government in place right now too, don't we? But it doesn't compare to Hitler. It doesn't compare to Stalin or Nero. You think you got problems? Ask the Christian church in 1938 in Germany. But it's still there, guys. Complex, difficult to understand, nuanced in its application. So we're going to wrestle with it some, you know. Um, I'll say this. This issue of governments and yielding to them, I think tests all of our ability to, we, to, to believe in a sovereign God. A sovereign God is behind that? <laughs> I'm saying that the issue is submission to authority and the cornerstone of his argument is the sovereignty of God. How do you like that? I mean, they're beginning to churn a bit. Um, it does... Why, why are we supposed to yield to government? Because it's right. Guys. Um, it becomes a work of submission. And that work of submission is not, is not something we like. And thus, our sin is exposed. If I'm right, and the issue is authority and how we relate to godless authority and we are being and that godless authority is um, is there in place because god put it there for his own designs um, then my refusal to submit becomes a real issue not between you and your government but between you and the God who put that government where it is. Um, now, guys, 
I know that that's that's that that sticks right right here, you know. And we're going to try to make some more sense out of it. Um, but we got a long road to hoe. There's a lot. Let, let me just read you some of the issues that we have to face. Could I? Um, when is it right to rebel? Um, take that just a little bit further. When is it right to take up arms? If ever. Um, when is a government illegitimate? Um, I'll tell you this. This is a, this will be a fun issue, I hope. Um, uh, what about our war of independence? What about the Revolutionary War? You know, guys, that um, it was said that all of Washington's generals were Presbyterian ministers. You ever heard of that? I can read you that. I'll, 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 I can show you that before the night's over if you'd like to see it. But, um, but what were these guys telling their congregations in the midst of rebelling at King George when this was in their Bibles? Um, when I was when I was in seminary, um, I was I don't know whether I signed this or I, I I offered to do it, but I wrote a paper on the Revolutionary War. Now you would think I'd know something about it. <laughs> the grade on that paper was not real good, and my 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 professor was R.C. Sproul, and he did not like my paper. At all. And he was my friend. <laughs> but I mean, I didn't, I didn't handle it very well. But that's an issue. I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that in the course, in the coming. Um, are there limits to this yielding? Is the state's power absolute? Um, but for me, here's the big issue, guys. Are there indications in the text that limit the authority of government? Are there issues that the text presents that demonstrate that the authority that government has has limits to it? Now, that's the stuff that we got to get to. And um, may I say again, like I tried to say last week, guys, this is complex um, and uh, and very discomforting. Um, I, I want to suggest to you, just in terms of preliminarily, you and I are called to obey the government. But it is not an unqualified obedience. Um, we are called to whatever governing authorities... We are, to, we are called to yield obedience. But it's not an unqualified obedience, guys. I will say this. We Christians ought to be the finest citizens in the land. Um, now, but do know this. I'm just trying to calm some of your fears before we start unraveling some of these issues. Um, whenever obedience to man is inconsistent with obedience to God, then disobedience becomes a duty. Um, with all of the incumbent problems that that's going to produce. When we disobey a government that asks us to disobey God. Now, guys, where do I get that? I think you probably know this statement, but it's a statement on the part of Peter in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. 
If you've never seen that verse, you probably need to look at it. So take a look over there and let's, um, let's, let's at least introduce this up front. Guys, if you can find Acts 5 real quick, just hold your, uh, hold your horses there for a second. I'm going to read you again something that Peter said. I'm reading to you out of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. And I'm going to read, I'm just going to read verse 1. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Okay? That was Peter. Now, over in 529. Um, oh, I was going to do something. Uh, but Peter and the apostles answered. We must obey God rather than men. Now, gang, what I'm trying to show you is the same man that wrote this back here in 1 Peter 2 is the man who stands before a governing agency and opposes it. And he refuses to yield. Uh, and his the grounds of his refusal are these words. We must obey God rather than men. So, first off, you can see there are some limitations in, in, a, in a Christian's obedience to, 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 to government. And whenever that government asks me to defy and to disobey God, then disobedience becomes my duty. That is, disobedience to that government. Guys, um, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not a prognosticator, I'm not a prophet, nor a son of a prophet. And I don't think that you and I will probably ever have to know things like these or uh, apply things like these. But the idea of, of um, uh, the whole issue of abortions, the whole issue of, of um, uh, genetic manipulation, all this stuff that seems to be, you know, off on the horizon. You know, my daughters, who are, of course younger than I, um, they think about this stuff. What's going to happen to us when the government says, um, as the government in China has said, uh, I shouldn't say that because I don't know exactly what the government in China has said, but of course, you're limited to one child or one daughter or one son or something like that. And if you... If you get pregnant again, then you're in big trouble. All that stuff, guys, um, gets moved to the center stage when we're trying to figure out how we're supposed to relate to a godless government. Now, guys, um, yeah, I can do this and then we'll quit. Um, this is something that, um, that I got right from John Stott. But... Um, there have been basically four um, um, approaches to um, to how to figure out how the people of God are supposed to relate to the state. These are just some terms that I mean, some of you'll recognize them. Um, Erastus, you've heard of Erasmus. Um, 
Erastianism. You've heard of that text, heard of that, haven't you? Uh, that's when um, the state controls the church. Then there is a theocracy. You've heard of that. That's when the church controls the state. Now, guys, um, by the way, uh, the state controlling the church, that has been, uh, that has been done several times. Um, um, I want to say that Hungary, but this is not completely true. I want to say Hungary is in, a, is in this position right today because do you know uh, who pays the clergy in, in Hungary? The state does. Um, you know, one of the things that we, we found so interesting in dealing with, with Christians in the Czech Republic, and, and uh, there, there is absolutely no sense of obligation on God's people to give anything to the church, and here's their reasoning. We give taxes. And because we're taxed and the state controls the church and pays all of the, the professionals in the church, we don't need to support our church financially at all because the state controls the church. That's something that's being done now. A theocracy, that only existed, of course, in the Old Testament. And um, there was a period in the church history where, where, where the Roman Empire was really uh, subservient to the Pope and the Vatican. Um, that's, a, that's another approach to... Then there was um, Constant, Constantinianism. Where um, the the church the state was in charge but favored the church. That's just shorthand. Um, there was a there was a hierarchy and the state was in charge, but there was there was favors done. There was a, there was a smile that was um, uh, on the church through the government because Constantine, of course, you know was a apparently converted at one point at the Milvian Bridge and all that business. And so the, the, the church smiled. In, I mean, the state smiled on the church. Um, I, I don't know that that exists anyplace else today, but it may. The other, the other thing, of course, is simply a partnership. Where the church um, and state... Um, Partner to um, to produce righteousness. Um, this, of course, is the is the model or the approach that's most consistent with the New Testament, um, and and I think it's something that probably existed in the United States at some point in her history. This is not true anymore. It doesn't it doesn't seem that the that the um, that the church is willing to partner with the church. I mean, excuse me, the state is willing to partner with the church to try and produce righteousness. I don't see that. In fact, what I see is the church doing everything she can to squelch. I mean, the state doing everything she can to, to squelch the church. Um, but guys, that's the environment in which we find ourselves. At least uh, you, Hungarian Christians find themselves in something like this. We find ourselves in something like this. Uh, I don't think these two exist. And of course, the theocracy does not. And I don't think Roman Catholics um, tell Italy what to do anymore, but used to. Gang, that's, those are, the, those are the, the, the possibilities, the possible approaches that the Christian church has seen fit 
to use uh, in relating this whole issue of how the church is supposed to relate to the to the state. Now, I'm suggesting that what we are supposed to do is that the church is supposed to partner with the state. And that ain't easy. Can I give you an example and then I'll quit? Um, I don't know whether you know this or not, but your church does everything we can to partner with um, Houston High School across the street. We do everything that we can. Uh, we uh, Did you know that the, um, that the Houston High School varsity softball, women's softball team, that their home field... Is Gracie Van? Did you know that that their the varsity women's softball team, their home field, they play their home games right back there on I don't know one of those fields, field number one. Uh, their AP testing is done in this church uh, in the spring. The, all their advanced placement classes, they come over here and they take their final exams in the church. And Dale gets very very ugly with us and won't even let us go through the doors um, while they're taking their tests. You know, be quiet, don't you, Dale? Yeah, uh, but we're, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to be a good neighbor over there, guys. Trying to be a, and in the past, Houston High School has been really um, cooperative in the in the in the relationship that exists between church and state. Um, but if you go down the street to the middle school. Guys, did you know that that Houston High School, Houston Middle School, um, graduates from this building? Do you know that their graduation is held here at the because every time they ask for something, we try to say yes. And you know, whatever we can do to make, but we try to get our youth staff into the school down there to meet with our kids. Ain't gonna happen. It is just not going to happen. Now, uh, that's um, that's very unfortunate, methinks. Um, but it was an it's an effort on the part of God's people to partner with the government to produce something that's good for the community. But it seems that the state is more and more unwilling to partner with the church of Jesus Christ to produce anything. Now, ladies and gentlemen, in the, in the face of that kind of provocation, what is going to be the response of God's people? That's what we're going to have to talk about in the coming weeks. Let's go. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you'll give us wisdom, that we, um, that you will enable us to think Soundly to think biblically about how we should relate to the government that, that exists, not only federally, but locally. We know that we're under certain biblical obligations and restraints, and we, we, we long to honor those, but they are in no way easy for us, oh God. Maybe it's our own sin, but show us how to better respond to um, in in a in a environment where we're being uh, marginalized and pushed to the to the to the fringes of of the culture, 
might the church of Jesus Christ respond in such a way that your word is honored and that Jesus Christ is obeyed. And we ask it all, of course, in Jesus' name.